Colossians chapter, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. Like I said, most likely we will only cover verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may speak, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As you can see, there's a lot right there in these four verses that we have. But tonight, I really think we're going to spend most of our time just on verse 2. And I wrote down here at the beginning of my notes for tonight, as we near the end of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, we see Paul, as he often does, put a lot of spiritual truths into a small space. He realizes there isn't enough space in this letter to go into detail about these things, and to do so would make his letter more of a book than a letter. And he also knows that they have other writings of his at their disposal to help in their understanding. Look at chapter 4 of Colossians. Look at verse 16. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. If you remember from our study of the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians very most likely was a, a letter that had been written to all the churches there in Asia Minor. And actually, as we've done some research, we found that, yeah, there were some manuscripts or hand copies that had to the Ephesians or the church at Ephesus written on them. But there were many copies that were that area was left blank. And most likely what happened was, is that Paul's letter was just written to the church. And. It was started in Ephesus and it was to be passed on around. And as they hand copied it, some of the hand copies they wrote to Ephesus on them. And those got translated and so on. But the letter to the book of the, of the letter of Ephesians, if you look at it closely, if you remember from our study, he doesn't deal with any specific issue in the local church like he does in the book of Colossians and others. He also, in all the letters near the ends that he writes, he says, say hi to so-and-so and say hi to so-and-so. When he writes to specific churches, he doesn't do that in the book of Ephesians. And so Paul knew as he was writing the close of this letter, because he, as you remember from our introduction of this book, he's in prison right now, and he's written a bunch of different letters during that time of imprisonment, book of Ephesians being one, Philemon another, this one. He's coming to an end here at this book, and he's starting to rapid fire. Oh, and this, and this, and this, and this. He's knowing that he's already written them other letters. Has anybody ever noticed the correlation or how many similarities there are between the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians? Have you noticed? They're almost word for word. They're very, very similar. At the same time, he also knows something else. And that's a big help for me. Is that if you're going to get anything of spiritual value, it's not because I said it. It's because the Lord opened your eyes. And Paul also knows that, that God will give them understanding because spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. We're here in Philippians, I'm sorry, Colossians. Back up to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Look at something he says in verses, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He's just finished talking about how we need to press on to grow deeper in our walk with the Lord and to know Christ better. And in chapter 3, verse 15... He said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Isn't that kind of cool? 
Paul says, if you don't see it the way I see it, God's going to help you see the truth. It's not my job. We're not going to turn there. But if you were to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, Paul writes there and he says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding of the truth. Let me just take a little second here to deal with this fact. Folks, as we get closer and closer to the time of the end, and as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, there are going to be many differing views about the return of Jesus, the rapture of the church, the timing of the rapture, what the millennial kingdom represents, and all these different things. And the Bible says that those of us who are faithful to the Word of God, we need to know what we believe the Word says, and we need to be willing to stand firm in what we believe. Yet we must not fight with each other over these issues. We must share what we believe the Bible teaches, and we need to leave the rest to God. And nowadays, with the way we have social media, if you were to just spend any time on some of these chat rooms or looking at some of these different things, we see Christians lobbing grenades at each other via the Internet, arguing over topics and issues. The Lord's servant must not be argumentative when it comes to discussing things that we may not see the same. And Paul understood that not everybody's going to see it the way I see it. And I can look you in the eye and tell you, you're not all going to see it the way I see it either. But I also understand that I've been given the role by God as being a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God. And I will be held in high accountability because of what I say. And I take very seriously what I teach you. I also know that if you're going to see what I see, or if I'm going to see what you see, it's got to be God that brings us to that understanding, not that you won the argument. All right? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you think you have to win the argument, you're actually showing you think God's not able to get his truth communicated. The one who's loudest doesn't always win. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verses 6 through 14. Paul says, yet among the mature, there's that word again, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, though, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might what? Understand the things freely given to us by God. And Paul says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, or the person without Christ, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have what? the mind of Christ. And so folks, let me just encourage you before we even get into our study tonight in Colossians, 
Let me just encourage you that in these days that we live in, as Christians may not see things the same way, as the Bible says in Romans 14, one's going to consider one day more sacred than another, another's going to consider every day alike. Each needs to be fully convinced in their own mind. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Listen to verse 14. Sorry, verse 4 of chapter 14. Who, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and the Lord will make him stand. In other words, just because you see something right now that your brother or sister may not see, doesn't mean that it's your job to get them to see it right now. How many of you believe everything the way you've always believed it from the time you got saved? Me neither. How many of you, show of hands, have been changing in your understanding of God's truth over the years? Yes. <laughs> and God has a purpose and a time for each of us to grasp certain things. We're able to share what God's word says. We leave whether or not they get it to the Lord. All right. That'll make you a whole lot more fun to be around. <laughs> Me too. Go back to Colossians chapter four. Look at verse two. Paul tells them as he's wrapping up this letter to continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, this might seem like an impossible task. I mean, how can I do my job or spend time with my family if I'm to be praying all the time? Doesn't Paul also say somewhere that we're to pray without ceasing? If you were to go look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. Not only are we to keep steadfast in prayer, we're to continually pray without stopping. But doesn't Paul also say, well, go to 2 Thessalonians. Let me show you something else he says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verses 6 through 12. Same guy that wrote, pray without ceasing and pray, continue steadfastly in prayer also wrote this. Now we command you, brothers, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So here Paul's saying, look, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't be now, there was a problem in the early church because I believe the Bible teaches without question that, that the rapture of the church happens prior to the tribulation period. There's a lot of scriptural evidence for that. But not only that, we see Paul actually believed it was going to happen in his lifetime. Do you remember how he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about, let me tell you a mystery, we're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye. And he says, and we who are alive will be caught up. Did you catch that? He was expecting it in his lifetime. The early church did expect it in their lifetime. And they so expected the return of Jesus Christ in their lifetime because Jesus, had, the angels had said the same Jesus you saw will come back in the same manner. They thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. Here's a problem that started to arise. And I've heard a lot of Christians say that today. Well, if Jesus is coming back soon, I can just run up all my credit card debts and just let <laughs> Satan pay for it. You know, I'll just let Satan pay the bill when I'm gone. No, and there were a lot of Christians that because of the fact that they expected Christ to return so soon, they stopped working. 
They hung out because the church was handing out daily distribution of food for the widows. And they became lazy, idle people. And they started to become gossips and busybodies. And Paul said, look, we have every right as preachers and teachers of the word or that you should be supporting us. The Bible teaches that that's what's supposed to happen. But when we were with you, we didn't take your generosity, but we worked our own selves and paid for our own food so we wouldn't be a burden. We didn't do it because we didn't have the right. We did it because we were trying to be an example to you of how you ought to be. You need to be willing to work. Now, here's the problem. How can I pray without ceasing and work? Well, that's because we've got a misunderstanding about prayer. And I hope tonight that we're able to, through the scriptures and the spirit of God opening our eyes, move us into an understanding of what it really means to live in communion and communication with the Lord. All right. We need to understand that prayer is more than set times of solitude with God. And that is necessary. Jesus himself even taught when you pray, go into the closet, go, go get away. You see in his life, you'll see many times that he got up early in the morning, went off to pray. Other times he stayed late at night and went off to pray. It didn't become ritualistic or duty bound. Let me just quickly remind you. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark at the beginning there in chapter one, verse 35, it says he went off early in the morning and went off to pray. And the disciples, when they woke up, they had no idea where he was. And they went looking for him. And when they found him, they said, everybody's looking for you. And of course, his response, because he had just spent time with the father getting his instructions, his response was, let's go somewhere else, because that's why I've come. God wants me to go and preach in the other villages. If Jesus got up every morning at the same time and went off to the same place every time, they would have known where he was and how long he'd be gone. But this morning he wasn't there and they didn't know where he was. There is a need for us at times to get up early and go off and spend some time in the prayer with the Lord. There are times for us to stay up at night and spend time with the Lord. All through, the scripture teaches us that that's a valuable thing. We see him after the feeding of the 5,000. He sends the disciples off in the boat by themselves, and he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. About four in the morning, he then comes down from the mountain and walks across the lake to go join them out there on the lake. There, are need, there is a need of those types of times of prayer. But if prayer is to be without ceasing and prayer is to be steadfast, it cannot be that that's what prayer means, always getting alone with God. Prayer is more than set times of solitude with God, but also a continual communication through our spirit and his spirit as we talk with him. Listen, and he communicates to us spiritual truths. We've just read in 1 Corinthians 2 that those of us who have the Spirit of God will understand the things of the Spirit because God will give, them, give us understanding. But I want to remind you of some things Jesus told his disciples right at the very beginning. Well, not at the beginning of his time with them, but right before he went to the cross, right at the beginning of him about to leave them and not leave them as orphans. Go to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, look at verses 15 through 17. Now, listen closely. I don't want you to hear these verses or to read them with me or to look at them and imagine what Jesus was saying to them. Hear Jesus say this to you, because these truths apply to us as well. Listen to what Jesus says to you, and he says to me in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. How long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. Look at verse uh, 16. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. And in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. And because I live, you'll also live. All right. So he's, he told them that he wasn't going to leave them as orphans, that God was going to send them a helper to be with us forever. The spirit of truth. Jump to chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. He said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you some things. All things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Don't miss this for a second, folks. This is a very important part of prayer because the Bible actually teaches us if we were to do the study in Ephesians chapter six on the armor of God, we're to pray. And we're actually going to look at that passage a little later tonight, Lord willing. And we're to look at the fact that it tells us to pray at all times in the spirit. There are those who have taken that to an unbiblical realm of, oh, I was in the Spirit. No, in the Spirit simply means your prayer is directed by the Spirit. The Spirit of God actually tells you what to pray. He puts on your heart. How many of you who have ever been driving down the road sometime and then out of nowhere, for no reason, something hasn't happened to cause you to think of it, but out of nowhere, someone will come to your mind that you haven't thought of in years. It wasn't because you saw a dog and that person had a dog that looked like that dog. And, oh, I remember Mr. Brown. No, no, no. Out of nowhere. You ever had that happen? I've learned to recognize when my father starts to plant thoughts in my head. Let me just kind of help you out a little bit here. Because as I travel around the country and I teach churches on what it means to walk with God, and a lot of times I deal with, because of the teaching that God has me teach, the fact that we need to know what God is saying now and following him in our relationship now. And most Christians, and I mean this, most Christians I deal with across this country, they come up to me afterwards and they say, Jim, how do you know when God's talking? And some of you probably sitting there going, quick, I hope he answers that question. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Has Satan ever put a thought in your head? You know what the most amazing thing to me is as I travel this country? You ask Christians, what has God said to you lately? And they'll go, Satan never talked to you? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? If Satan can put a thought in your head, can your heavenly father who dwells within you put a thought in your head? And that's one of the main ways that he speaks to us. He will bring to our remembrance the things that he said. That's why it's so important for us to feed on this word. That's why we need to know what the book says. Because God can only bring to your remembrance what you put in. You can't pray prayers like I used to in college. Oh God, help me remember this test. And God laughs and says, you do believe in miracles. <laughs> you had to read that book first, Jim, before I can bring it to your remembrance. In the same way. The Holy Spirit that lives within us is at times going to remind us of things that are true from his word. And he's going to be speaking to us and he'll teach us all things. God said so. He'll help us understand it. He'll help us get there. Go to John chapter 16. Look at verses 12 through 15. John chapter 16 verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into some truth. Again, all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he'll take from what is mine and declare it to you. Again, listen to this promise for us. Jesus actually said, I got more than I got to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. By the way, that should be an encouragement to you when you're praying to God about something and he's silent. Is he going to hide stuff from you that you need? No. And if he's silent on an issue, we're to be faithful in prayer, believing that when it's time, he will speak. And you need to know what he's promised. And you're going to see that's going to help us when we get to the end of tonight's study. You need to know what he's promised and you need to believe that he'll do what he said he would. He said he will show us. He will tell, speak to us. Even the stuff we're not ready to handle just now. When that time comes, he will give it to you. Corey Ten Boom gives a wonderful illustration of how when she was a young girl, when they had to take a train ride as a family, her daddy wouldn't give her the ticket until just as she was about to get on the train. Because being a good dad, he knew this girl may drop it or lose it. And so he held all the tickets for the kids until it was time to get on the train. And just before she was to step on the train, her daddy handed her her ticket. And she would then took it from her daddy and gave it to the train guy. And she said, that's how the father is for us as well. He'll give it to us when we need it. Oh, he's got it. He's got it all taken care of. He'll give it to you when you need it. Jesus actually gives us a glimpse of this type of communication in John chapter 11. Back a couple, couple of books, I mean, a couple of chapters. And go to John chapter 11. We've already referenced him going off early in the morning or spending time late at night or going up on the mountain by himself to pray. In John chapter 11, though, listen to verses 38 through 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus who's sick, and they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus has his own timetable. We'll deal with that later tonight. And he lets Lazarus die. And when he gets back there, Mary and Martha come to him individually and say, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But now in verse 38 of chapter 11, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. I, I love the fact, Martha, you don't have to wonder what Martha's thinking. <laughs> of course, she doesn't realize she's telling the one who created decomposition, you know. <laughs> Lord, there'll be an order for he's been, for, been there dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. What Jesus does here is he lets us into his prayer life with the Father or his communication with the Father he just prayed out loud what he was praying in his spirit. I got to be honest with you. A lot of times when people call me up or come up to me and they want to ask me a Bible question, I at that moment kick into prayer time like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Lord, give me your wisdom. Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm about to deal with. I was talking with a pastor up in Michigan today and he was sharing some things with me. And the whole time as he was sharing, I was talking to the Lord as I was talking to the pastor because I don't want to give this guy any counsel that's not from God and I need to hear from God. But I was doing two or three things at the same time. And in this situation, as Jesus walked to the tomb, he prayed his prayer that he was talking to the Father all the time. He just said it out loud for the benefit of the people listening and the benefit of you and I. 
Jesus always walked in a continual communication with the Father. You can and I can. You can pray without ceasing and do your job. You can pray without ceasing and be steadfast in prayer and talk to your wife or talk to your husband and do what you need to do. You need to first understand that the same God who lives within you is within you all the time. If you've not gotten the book, go get it. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother, Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk back in the 1400s, and he came to realize that if God is within us at all times, our prayer times with him can be just as deep as we're flipping eggs in the kitchen, as he said, as, as we would be alone in a closet. And he learned to practice the presence of God. It's a simple, small little book. I encourage you, go get it. And all it is is his letters to a friend explaining what God was beginning to show him as he learned to talk to God at all times. All right. Now, there's something else here we're going to come back to in just a bit. So put a bookmark here in John chapter 11. But if you go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, not only are we to continue steadfastly in prayer, Paul says that we're to be watchful in prayer. Any idea why we're to be watchful in prayer? Does anybody know what he means by that? Uh, expectant. expectant is... You're going to see that more when we get to the third part on Thanksgiving. But that's a good, good idea. Go ahead, Steve. If we're watchful, we'll, we'll see that it's answered. That it's here. Well, definitely you'll see that it, some of it's answered. But it's, it, it, in this, it's actually before the answer. Spiritually alert. Spiritually alert is a very good way to put it. Go ahead. Same way God's directing uh, say it again. Seeing where God is directing you, that's definitely a part of it. Well, let me put it to you this way. This is part of the reason why our communication with God needs to be steadfast and without ceasing. We are in a daily, non-stop spiritual battle. Whether we realize it or not, and most Christians are oblivious to this, the enemy is continually seeking to pull us out of this close communion with God. Can he touch your salvation if you're a child of God? No, he can't touch your salvation. But he can definitely affect your witness. He can affect your relationship with the Lord in the sense of fruitfulness. He can, he can definitely make it so that you don't enjoy these years that you have between now and heaven. And that is his desire. That is his desire. And the... Part of the reason why God wants us to be steadfast in prayer and praying without ceasing is because we need to be alert to the fact that we're in this spiritual battle. In, in Matthew chapter 26, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 26, if you would go back and look on your own in verses 36 through 46, Jesus is in the garden with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. They've already had the Last Supper. Uh, he goes in the garden. They're coming to arrest him in just a little bit. And he's there praying with his disciples and he turns to them and he says, watch and pray. He said, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. In other words, you have within you the ability to have victory in whatever situation you're dealing with. The problem is we have to choose each day whether or not we're going to let the spirit of God be in control. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit, by the way. This simply means to be under the control of the spirit. We choose Daily, hourly, whether or not we're going to let the Spirit of God be in control in our responses. And over the years, as I've learned to develop this type of a prayer life, you, and you do the same, you'll begin to recognize when all of a sudden the enemy 
has started to get a little victory. And you start to notice people's reactions start to be a little bit tense. When all of a sudden, when things are smooth between you and your spouse, and all of a sudden you guys are at odds with each other, you need to realize, hey, this isn't just about whatever the episode was. Something else is going on here. Have you all ever noticed that Sunday morning seems to be one of the most chaotic mornings in your house? Have you ever really thought about that? Have you ever noticed? It's not an accident. As you're on your way to church, Satan would love to get you derailed. And how many of us have had one of our biggest whop, whop of a fights with our spouse right before we step onto the church property? Hello, brother. Hello, sister. How are you doing this morning? Doing good. <laughs> Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why, according to 1 Peter, are we to be watchful in our prayer? Because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, those of you that have watched the animal shows on TV, and I used to love Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. By the way, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom used to be on Sunday nights. But at the church I grew up in New Hampshire, they didn't have Sunday. They didn't even know what a Sunday night service was. I grew up my whole life watching Disney's Wonderful World of Color and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. But then we moved down south, and it's a sin not to go to church on Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> but if you watch those animal shows... And the lions were kind of prowling. What were they waiting for? The weak? The one that was stupid and just kind of walked away from the herd? When we go through struggles in our lives, when stuff happens, which the Bible says is going to happen, and we get upset at God, what is our first thought that comes into our mind when it comes to church attendance and to hanging out with other Christians. We walk away, don't we? We get mad and we pull away. We isolate ourselves. We get discouraged. We just decide. The two men on the road to Emmaus had been hanging out with the disciples. They had seen Jesus. They had walked with him. Some of their women had said that he had risen from the dead and, and they had seen angels. And some of our own men went to the tomb and found it empty. But ah, we just don't know. And they decided to walk back to Emmaus. Discouraged. Who chased him? Jesus did. But we need to be on the alert because the devil is daily looking for that little crevice to get in. That's why the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give Satan a foothold. You're in a daily battle, folks. You're in a daily battle. It says resist him. Well, how do we resist him? 
We put on the armor of God that we may be able to stand against his schemes. And whose armor is that? God's armor. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Don't go out to fight Satan. Too many people are out there trying to bind Satan. Folks, you can't bind Satan. The only one that's going to bind him is Jesus, and that's going to be at a certain time. Right now, for God's purposes, he's been allowed to have some reign in this world. And we are to live in this world under the leadership of our Father, resisting him by submitting ourselves to God. And knowing that any victory I'm going to have over him is because God gave it to me, not because I've been a good Christian and I fought real hard today. I can't defeat him, but Jesus already has. Let's go to the armor of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stop. How much of the armor are we supposed to put on? All of it. Why? Why? Why do you need, why, if you're in a battle, why do you need the whole armor? It protects everything. The enemy, let me just tell you something. If I'm going to compete against you in sports, I'll tell you right now my strategy. I want to just, uh, if it's ping pong, let's hit it back and forth a little bit. If it's basketball, let's just shoot a little bit. I want to I get loose. If it's golf, let's go to the range and let's just kind of hit a couple. But you know what I'm really doing? I want to find out. Do you have a backhand if we're hitting it back and forth? As we're shooting, I want to find out where the limit of your range is if we're going to play horse. If you can't make it past a certain point, I want to know these things. Because how I, I want, I'll just tell you, I want to win. My wife gets so mad at me because I'm just so competitive in sports. She says, Jim, just play for the fun of it. I said, I do. Winning is fun. I'm going to find your weakness, and I'm going to exploit it. If you play me one-on-one -on -one and you're quick, I weigh 275 pounds. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to back you under the basket where you can't stop me. In the same way, the enemy is looking for where you are weak when it comes to this armor. That's why we're to put on the helmet of salvation. Some Christians are weak when it comes to their eternal security. They haven't really let the truth of the scriptures of the fact that if God has given you his spirit, he sealed you. And they are under the attack of the enemy who hammers them and says, well, maybe not. Maybe you're not saved. And many of us have all had him attack us in that area, haven't we? That's no fun. And buddy, when it happened to me, even as a Christian, as a preacher, I finally had to get to the point where I put on that helmet of salvation. I sensed it on tight and it's not coming off. Put on the full armor of God. That way you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, there's something here that I'm going to get back to in a second, but I just want to brag on my pastor of my home church. I actually got to go to church where I remember at First Merritt Island on Sunday, and I knew what the pastor was going to be preaching about, and I knew what all he had planned to cover, and I watched him Sunday morning as God took him, as he preached the message that God gave him, but he preached it in a totally different direction that he had ever planned on going. And I watched him near the end of the message realize I'm not to finish where I was planning on going, but I'm to stay here and draw this to a close. And when the service was over and everything calmed down, I went up to him afterwards and I said, I watched you listen to the Lord while you were preaching today. You were preaching in the spirit and I watched your face. I recognized it. You are listening to God as you were preaching. And I said, you keep doing that the rest of your life and you'll be fine. He was preaching and praying at the same time. Folks, this is not impossible. This is something we all can do. This is something we all can do, especially you ladies that can multitask. (laughs) My wife will tell you, if I'm on the phone, I can't do anything else, especially drive. (laughs) But you ladies are able to do two or three things all at one time. You can do this. You learn to talk to the Lord at all times. Be sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Listen. Just Commune with him. Talk to him about all sorts of stuff. But you'll begin to recognize when he starts to put thoughts in your mind. He starts telling you things that you hadn't seen before. You'll begin to get a peace when you know he's leading you. He will show you. But also, he, I don't know if you've caught this. Not only are we to be praying, we're also to be praying for each other. Did anybody notice that? Back, go back to Colossians chapter 4. We're not going to really dive into this because we'll deal with that more next week, or not next week, next time we come together, because we won't be here next week. Look at verse, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison. We're not only to be praying for ourselves, we're to be talking to the Lord about other people. You, you, you grandmas be praying for your kids, not just when you have your prayer time, Don't just have a list where you get up every morning and you call out the names of each of these people. Learn how to talk to the Lord when he leads you to talk to the Lord about them as you go through your day. You mamas, pray for your kids as you're folding their laundry. As you hold a shirt that's now bigger than you ever thought you'd ever have a kid. And as you look at that, you say, good grief, they're about to get out of the house. Lord, are they ready? And you can fold and talk to the Lord or wash the dishes. And you know what's going to start to happen? I promise you this will start to happen. Instead of you washing the dishes and thinking, well, here I am washing the dishes again. Nobody appreciates it. Nobody. You actually start thanking God for the fact that you have dishes to wash. You've got people that you are taking care of. And he starts to change your attitude about everything. You start to see it differently than you ever did before. Why? Because you are in communion with The Father. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you catch that? In other words, he doesn't say you need to change your attitude. 
He says, commune with the Father, be steadfast in prayer, watchful because you know the enemy is going to try to pull you out of this communion with the Father. And as you pray without ceasing and you're in continual communication with the Lord, you're going to look back and go, you know what? I haven't been grumpy. I haven't been negative. It's not something you got better at. It just started to change as you hung out with Jesus. Once again, though, go back to Colossians 4. Look at verse 2. We see Paul tell us that our prayers are to be prayed with thanksgiving. We've already touched on the fact that because of God's plan and the fact that we as Gentiles have been grafted in for a time as a part of His grace, we are to thank Him for that. But this is a different type of thanksgiving here. Why are we to be continuing steadfastly in prayer and watchful with thanksgiving? Because we don't need to pray worrying or fearing that the outcome of our spiritual battle, what what the outcome of our spiritual battle will be. We can pray with thanksgiving and praise knowing that our enemy is running out of time and is already defeated by Jesus at the cross. I'm going to give you some scriptures tonight. I want you to write down and I want you to put them in your heart because Jesus will bring these to your mind in in the days to come. The first one is in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Now, most of you probably know this one, especially if you grew up watching Ola Roberts. This was on his TV show every Sunday. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Go to chapter 5, though. You're in 1 John chapter 4. Look at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, if you are in Christ, you will have victory over the world. How? Through your faith. And it's time. I said this to some guys last week. I'll say it to you now. As things get crazier and crazier till Jesus comes and gets us, and the Bible says it's going to, so don't let anybody tell you it's going to, oh, we're going to get to this wonderful, euphemistic age and everything's going to be great. No, it's going to get worse and worse. The Bible's very, very clear. I actually get excited. You know why? Because for too long, especially in America, it has been easy for people who aren't Christians to pretend to be Christians. But as stuff starts to get worse, the true Christians are going to be a lot easier to spot. Because the Bible says seed falls on the rocky soil, and it springs up, sure fools a lot of us, sure looks like they're believers. But when trouble came, they fell away because they really weren't saved. And as things get worse in this country, it's going to be easier and easier to know who truly are the men and women of God, not the ones who've been faking it. Let's be honest. Did they have any idea Judas was never one of them? The guys lived with them for three years and they were clueless. They had no idea. But the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world choked Judas. You see, he was more interested in money and position now. As he got closer to the time of the cross, he kept realizing this Jesus, who was supposed to set up this kingdom, keeps talking about going to being put to death and rising from the dead three days later. And I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles and they're going to put me to death. And you could watch Judas. If you're looking closely, you'll see him say, I didn't sign up for this. 
And the things of this world and the cares of this world and wealth choked him. He never had it. He sure fooled a lot of people because he sprung up and looked like he was saved. But folks, in these days, they get crazier. You need to rest in the fact that God has given us some promises and we need to hang on to them. Remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 11? What did he pray? Does anybody remember it? What did he pray? Father, I what? I thank you that you heard me. Don't miss that, folks. That's been one of the most transformative prayers for me in ministry. Because it hit me one day that if God had told me to go walk up to a tomb and tell that guy to come out. And I've thought about this a lot. I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of people's caskets go into the ground. And I thought, Lord, what if you told me to walk over to this hole and tell that, bring it back up because this guy's going to come back. My prayer would not be, Father, I thank you that you heard me. (laughs) My prayer would have been, oh, God, I hope you're hearing me. (laughs) Hope I'm hearing you. But Jesus, who had walked in continual communication with the Father, knew that what he was about to do was going to happen because the Father had said it and he knew it. And he said, I thank you that you heard me. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verses 13 and following. John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Put that helmet of salvation on. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. Get that in your head. Listen to what the promise is. If we have ask anything according to his will, we know that he's heard us, and we know that we have what we've asked. Now, this is very important. Stick with me here, because we don't want you now all of a sudden taking this promise and making yourself God, where you get to determine the will of God. But there are some promises here. How are we going to know what the will of God is? You got to know what the word is. And there are some times that he will give you a word. He does. You have to make sure that you don't add words to it. There was a time early on in my wife and I's relationship when we were engaged that God told me I was going to have a son. It was things, something was going on in our life and it was a very emotional and, and, and powerful episode. And God came in that moment and spoke to me and said, Jim, you're going to have a son. This is before Becky and I were married. We're engaged. I was, be honest, it was one of the most amazing times where God just came at a moment when I needed him, and he just said, you're going to have a son. The problem with Jim Johnson was he just assumed that my first child was going to be a son. So much so that I told everybody, our first child is going to be a boy. And out came Nicole. So convinced was I that God had said my first child was going to be a son that I literally thought the doctor had messed with me. I was standing there watching her come out. But his name was Dr. Cease. And I had called him Dr. Seuss throughout the whole pregnancy. I had messed with this man. I did not miss one doctor appointment for the baby. And I had been messing with him for months. And I thought, how did he do it? A few years later, we have another one, and she's a girl, too. And i got to be honest with you, folks. This was a real, 
powerfully, let's just say it was a time that God used to teach me about this. Because there came a period where I started to question my ability to say, thus says the Lord. Because if you had asked me, when have I heard God speak? The clearest was that day. And it wasn't until after AJ was born that God sat me down and he said, go back to that day that I made you that promise. What did I say? You said you'd give me a son. Oh. We have to be careful when he speaks to only take what he has said. Some of us, when we are reading in John chapter 11 in the story of Lazarus, Vance Havner shares that when his wife was sick, he was reading in John chapter 11 and he read, this sickness will not end in death. And he heard God speak to him from that passage about his wife. This sickness will not end in death. And he was convinced she was going to get out of that hospital bed. But she died. But he knew God had said it. And then it hit him. (laughs) It didn't end in death. See, we have to be real careful when he speaks, not to add words, but to know what he has specifically said and hang on to what he has said. Jesus could know that his prayer was being heard. He didn't hope he was getting through. He knew the promise of God and he believed them. In Matthew chapter 6, we're not going to turn there, verses 25 through 34, Jesus tells us not to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. What has he promised us? That he'll provide. That He says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin, yet, man, look how beautiful they are. Look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't gather and store in barns, yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Are you not of more value than they? Yet, let's be honest with each other. How many of us, show of hands, have wondered if we were going to be able to pay the bill or where our next meal was coming from? <laughs> we all have, haven't we? That's why we need to know what he said. And we need to rest on what he said. And when we talk to him, we remind him of the promises he has made. And it's actually reminding us. Jesus said, I, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me. I just said that for the people listening. What would a prayer for God to meet your physical needs sound like if prayed by one who believed God's promises and thanked him for keeping them? What would a prayer sound like? I'm going to read it to you again. What would a prayer for God to meet your physical needs sound like if prayed by one who believed God's promises and thanked him for keeping them? It would be a prayer of thanksgiving. And it would be ahead of time. I've shared this story maybe a couple of times. I don't remember if some of you heard this or not. But years ago, when Becky and I were first married, our combined income, our first year marriage was less than $6,000. $5,558 was all we took in our first year of marriage in 1990. At one point, while we were living on the seminary campus in a trailer on seminary campus, there came a night where we came down to our last bit of food that we had in the trailer. We didn't have any money in the checking account. We had no money. I think like maybe 25 bucks in the checking account. If even that Four? My wife's saying four. <laughs> it's probably true. It, we, did, we had nothing. We had like $4 to our name. And all we had in the trailer was a box of macaroni and cheese and a can of Spam. And that is all there was. Literally, there was nothing else. Nothing in the freezer. There wasn't even milk to make the macaroni and cheese with. 
And the church we went to that night, although we were going to at that time, didn't have a Wednesday night supper, but it was a Wednesday night. But because the gymnasium was used on Wednesdays and that was also the fellowship hall, there was no Wednesday night supper. So as a young married couple, we sat down to our last meal and we didn't know how we were going to eat the next day. We mixed the macaroni and cheese up on the, on the stove with water and cut up the spam and mixed it in. And that was our meal. And we sat at the table and we thanked God for the meal and for the fact that he said he would take care of us. We didn't tell anyone where we were or what was going on. We didn't tell a soul. We eat our meal. We drive to church that night for prayer meeting. When the prayer meeting's over, this one man, his name Richard Bird, came up to us and he said, uh, do you have your pickup truck with you tonight? I'm like, yeah. He goes, could you follow me to my house? Our Sunday school class bought you a gift. I'm like, okay. So we drive over to their house. He opens the front door. And when he opened the front door, we saw it. The whole living room was covered wall to wall with grocery bags. While we were sitting there praying over our last meal and thanking God for the fact that he said he would take care of us, the groceries were already sitting on their floor waiting for us. Man, it was like Christmas. We, we filled that truck up. We got back and we, there was like frozen turkeys and ham. And we were like kids at Christmas. Cream corn! You know, and we're like, put it in the fridge and then in the cupboards. And we went from having nothing to every bit of the cupboards were full. And God has done that over and over throughout our lives to teach us and to remind us of his provision. There'll be more. We've got kids in college and all this other stuff. You know what I'm talking about. We are to be steadfast in prayer, watchful because the enemy is going to try to pull us out of that communion. And we're to be thankful because he's made promises and he will keep them. Let me hit this real quick in the time we have left. Does any of you have a rebellious child? Only God knows their heart, whether they're truly saved or not. If they are saved, thank him for Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and that he who began his good work will finish it. Thank him for 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. Listen to 1 John 5, 18. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. In other words, if you've got a child that has, knows the Lord and they're away from him right now, you can thank God for the fact that if he truly was saved or she truly was saved, God will finish his work and they're going to be in heaven. Amen. But you don't know. Oh, but they prayed a prayer, Jim. I was there when little Bobby or little Susie prayed the prayer. You still don't know. So you need to pray according to the will of God. Lord, if this child is yours, thank you that you've made these promises and you do what you need to do because you care for them more than I, but you will bring them back around. But Lord, if they don't know you, I'm going to pray two things from your word. I'm going to pray that you would draw them because you came to seek and save the lost. And I thank you that you're going to. And Lord, I'm going to pray one other thing. You've shown me in Luke 19, 10, that you came to seek and save the lost. I thank you for that. But you also showed me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, that the fields are ripe unto harvest. And we're to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to send someone into the harvest field for my child. Father, I'm going to ask you to send more than one. You said laborers. Father, I pray that you start sending men, women, boys, girls, whoever, truck drivers, bus stop attendants. I don't care what's going on. Father, if they don't know you, 
you keep having them run into people that point them back to you. And I pray that they respond in faith. But Lord, you know. And folks, let me tell you, when we cast all our anxiety upon him, he gives us the peace that passes understanding. And he's able to work in the hearts and the lives of those we pray for. Oh, you got lots of stuff to talk to God about. So do I. Do it in your times alone with him. But learn to do it as you go. Learn to do it as you go. But let me end up with this. When you pray and when you ask, believe and don't doubt. Listen closely. That means that when you give it to God, not only are you trusting that he's going to do it in his way, he's going to do it in his time. That's one of the biggest problems we have is we pray and ask God for stuff and it didn't happen yesterday like we thought it was going to. It didn't happen last week like I thought it was going to, or I thought he would have done it by now. No, no, no. If you really believe, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, If you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, don't doubt. Believe that God will do it. Martha and Mary believed that God or Jesus would have the ability to raise Lazarus, not raise him from the dead, but, but heal him. Didn't they believe it? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But he didn't do it on their timetable, and he died. Oh, but God had a greater miracle in mind. When you pray, you thank him for the fact that he will do it in his way, in his time, and you leave it to him. You've got to know what he says. Make sure your faith prayers line up, though, with what he has said, not what you say. Too many Christians have turned some of these promises of God into, well, I believe it so much, God has to believe it, too. No. In those situations, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to remind you that he's God and you're not. By the way, did you catch all that? That was just one verse in Colossians. At the end of Paul's letter. Pray steadfastly, being watchful with thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this chance to open your word. I thank you for how the hour just goes so fast. It's just fun to be with other believers and in your spirit and in your word and just enjoying this relationship and this fellowship you've given us. Lord, at the same time, some of us have had experiences in our life where we've lived like this a little and sometimes we've fallen away a little and and we all go through those phases. You know that. Lord, I thank you that in Matthew uh, 26 there, when you told your disciples to watch and pray and they kept falling asleep, You didn't just say, well, forget you and walk away. You said, come on, let's go. You hadn't given up on them, and you're not going to give up on us. There are times our prayers are weak. Our faith is old. Sometimes our heart heart, heart is hard and our prayers are cold, as Keith Green sang about. But, Lord, you're a God who says, come back to me. Come back to me. And Lord, you know what's happening in the lives of the folks here right now, all the different things that are going on. You've said in your word in Romans 8 that we're going to face death all day long for your sake. But we need to be convinced that if you are for us and you've already proven it through the cross, who can be against us? And so, Lord, tonight, that we take the truth of this one verse here in Colossians chapter 4 and allow it by your spirit to burn deep into our hearts to the point that we become men and women of faith, restful, those who talk to you 
at all times and who know what you're saying. Father, thank you that we don't just get to talk to you. You talk to us. You've already shown us at the beginning of our study tonight. You're going to remind us. You're going to bring to our remembrance. You're going to share with us things to come. You're going to talk to us. May we believe it. And may we not fall into the enemy's lie that it's only for the preachers. But that's available to all. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in all of our lives and what you've been doing. Thank you for the peace that I sense in this room because of your truth. In your name we pray. Amen.